0: Welcome to the latest edition of Toby Hedokes' Who's Round. Uh, it's difficult to choose a favourite, and I never will. But if I was forced to at gunpoint, this one would be right up there. Uh. I'm in the dressing room of the illustrious Gilgour Theatre. I'm between shows uh, uh, to a gentleman who never seems to be out of work, but his first job, I think, was on a programme we all know and love. So, certainly his first TV. So I'm going to ask him who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who.
1: Anthony Carf, And I can't remember the character I played, to be honest. I can't remember the name of the character I played in The Visitation, but... Uh, he but was called Charles, he so you had a name. Charles, that's right, of course he was, yes. And he was the son of the, of, uh, of the person who, who was played by John Sabadant. I remember right. that. And John Savident was fantastically kind to me. I remember because it was my first, first television, as you know. And I'd never done any screen work. Never done any radio work. I'd done bit, bits and pieces of, of theatre, um, and uh, I'd only ever been in a in a television studio once, which was for um, which was some distant relation of mine was a producer on some medical programme. So I went in to watch that. When I was about nine and I absolutely loved uh, the whole idea of going to Television Centre, as it was in those days, was just too thrilling for words. So when I was asked to do it or when I went up for it and got it, I was absolutely thrilled to bits. Um, and it was ba- it basically only the first ten minutes of the, of, uh, of the episode, isn't it? Yeah. Really? So it's, and, uh, and he gets zapped pretty quickly having cleaned his gun for a very long time as so far as I actually, I don't know whether that was a metaphor for anything, but anyway, nevertheless, he's, I, did, I, I, I have seen it, I have viewed it since. And the idea of just constantly cleaning the barrel of the gun did seem a bit strange. Anyway, um, uh, and I just remember that we rehearsed for a week at the Acton Hilton, and I'm sure you know all this, the Acton mm-hmm. Hilton, which was the dedicated rehearsal rooms. Um, that the BBC built, I don't know quite when but they've certainly pulled them down since um, where you rehearse multi-camera dramas um, for, on the whole, about a week um, for each episode, sometimes two weeks Um, and if it was a long play then it would be about um, four weeks of of rehearsal uh, so that the director could absolutely shoot it in one day or two days or whatever it was once they got into the expensive part of studio work um and i thoroughly enjoyed the um the rehearsal period peter davison was the was the doctor who at the time who was charming and lovely and funny and um i think it was his first series as far as yeah. i can remember um so he was not you know he wasn't he wasn't anxious at all but he he was an experienced actor who was you know in the prime of his life and doing fantastically well and being brilliant um, and so it was a it was a, a a lovely experience and the whole business of, you know, dressing up in um what was it, Jacobean clothing, I think. Was it about J- kind of Jacobean time? Well, it was the, right right? the time of the plague? Time? It was 1666. Oh, right, well there you go, yes, so it's approximately that. And um uh, uh and having a wig and all sorts. I remember all of that stuff and uh and I think and also John Sabin said come in early so I can show you what the studio looks like and worry about the cables and all the sort of thing and so I so I must say it was a, um, a really, really happy first screen job, and um, and I remember cycling away from from TV Centre, f- thinking that everybody knew who I mu- everyone must know who I was. I mean, I was on cloud nine, and I know it seems strange for 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 you know, I was a boy of twenty one or something, twenty two, and. Um, uh, uh, and uh, I just thought this was the beginning of a glittering career, which it wasn't entirely, but, but, well, but it was a, it was an interesting... It, it was. I now look back on it and, and can't believe my acting, but nevertheless, you know, um, I, I just remember loving it, absolutely loving it. Because yeah. well, I just
0: offered to show it you, uh, to you,
1: and it was an emphatic no. No, 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 I don't, <laughs> I don't want to see it. I don't need to see it again. <laughs> I've seen it.
0: <laughs> and, I mean, it's interesting because you can have... I mean, looking at that, you've got John Savident, who's uh, who was a uh, you know an established character actor yes, and continues yes, to be so, yes. despite the you know the Coronation Street giving him a, a different sort of luster later in his career. But then, and you've got yourself, who that was your first job, and you've gone on to do all sorts of amazing things. Mm. And you've got Valerie Pfeiffer, who was the girl who's yes, n- never done know. anything uh, since. Yes, yes, I remember. So it's Valerie, yes, It's an interesting yes. sort of microcosm of the acting profession. In the yes, way. and
1: it, I mean particularly hard for girls. I mean, uh, I, I, you know, I. I know many, many, many uh, uh, actresses who were terrific in their youth, and um, you know, just they're just not, not evident um, in, in the acting world uh, as they as they get older, and it's it is very very tough for girls, because there aren't parts written for them, you know, the, the, when you look at the proportion of girls as opposed to men in, in castes, it's it's generally speaking about 75% men and 25% girls, and the girls nowadays, I'm sorry to say, I'm really appalled to say, have to look young and beautiful, and um, you know, not as far as I'm concerned, I mean, they just, just don't represent it anymore, they don't represent life anymore, life is about sorts of
0: different shapes and, sizes and I'm appalled by the television industry now. Good, good. No, this is good. But mm. and yet it's interesting because look again, looking at all the stuff that you done Do- Doctor is probably the smallest part you've ever played on television in terms of It's pers- not actually, but yes. I know what why, you mean. Why is it of, of all you know, there's not gonna be some idiot doing a Midsummer Murders or a Foils War podcast in twenty five years, um you know, hammering on your door, but for some reason, Doctor Who is something that you know people are interested in. Well,
1: still. I, I, I have to admit now that that I, I'm I'm afraid to say I, uh, I I'm not a sci-fi fanatic. I, I I find sci-fi difficult to take. To be honest, I, I I'm not your average. Well, it's not average. What I mean? I, I I'm not a particular fan of sci-fi. I don't read sci-fi books. Uh, I don't like fantasy very much. So. um... Uh, which seems weird as i mean you know i 'm sort of in a job which which sort of creates um, imaginary worlds but it, but i i have a, a, a deal of difficulty um, acting something that i don 't feel an actual uh, attachment to so so um playing something in Doctor Who which was a was a person, was the easy bit if i think if I'd, i i'd been asked to play as a to- total alien i I would have been completely at sea so i the the Doctor Who thing i I mean, surely, um, you know, Russell T. Davis's uh, reinvention of it has been a huge help. I don't know. Do you think there still would be people as interested if, if that hadn't happened?
0: I think there would be fewer of us and the average fan wouldn't be slightly younger and prettier than I am. Uh, so, so fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, th- I think we would be a dwindling resource because yeah. T. Davis has, mm. has has rejuvenated it, and
1: particularly Chris Eccleston. I thought he yeah. was
0: absolutely
1: magnificent when he played it. Um, uh, uh, but, uh, but, 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 I, I mean, I, I'd have to admit that 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 the, and I've been up for it since. I've been up for for the new incarnation um, from time to time, and and I find it, I just find it very difficult. Well you've been the, up for parts in the show. Yeah, 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 and not got them. And I and I think partly it's because they can just they get a sense that that uh, that I that I don't have that deep deep passion for Doctor Who. And I and I you know I just have to admit that it's a failing on my part. I, I don't I don't know why it is. It's, and I, it's
0: I, not compulsory. Equally, so. I don't
1: really <laughs> fully understand why why it's as popular as it is. So I you know but that's. Life is full of misunderstandings. So yeah, well, away, I mean,
0: away from Doctor Who, you still have have ties to it you because look hurt. everything's I <laughs> it. No, no, <laughs> I really no. No, I, no, no. I wish I were. I wish I, I could conform to. Uh, no, no. It's, I think Doctor Who is all about you know accepting different points of good, view. Good, so, good, good, good. So, good, 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 so good, I nice would sir. be betraying awesome. the ethos of the series <laughs> if I were to now spurn you. But you, um, your ne- I think it was your next job was to work for Douglas Canfield on. Oh uh, yes, well there there you go. He
1: was a great Doctor Who person. He was you know, so. Um, and and you know who's to say? Maybe 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 if if I'd, I don't know maybe if I'd had a kind of running part or something in a series, and maybe if Dougie had been the person directing me, maybe my whole attitude would would have changed. Uh, as much as I like the director, uh, the, the Peter Moffat. Oh, Peter, that's right, I beg your pardon. Um, uh, you know, very very nice chap. But um, but no, Dougie uh, particularly, he was absolutely wonderful, Dougie, because he. I, I, you know, only having done one tiny section of, of Doctor Who, I then was approached to, to, to audition for um, a smaller part in Beaugest. Uh, um, and, um, and I went up and, you know, was, was, uh, uh, was seen by Dougie. And Dougie, immediate, pretty much within about ten minutes or five minutes of the interview, said, look, look between you and me, I think, you know, you'd be perfect for Digby. I think you'd be perfect to play Digby Jess, which was a, a, a running character, it was one of the brothers. Um, and, I, and I said, well, that, that, that's great. And I was just excited about getting anything, to be honest, at that time. I, um, uh, I didn't, my ambition was pretty limited. Um, but, but anyway, so he said, stay there, stay there. This is in Threshold House in, she- in Shepherd's Bush. He said, stay there. I'm going to go and get the producer. I'm gonna, we're going to read in front of the producer. I mean, it was quite extraordinary. I'm gonna read, you know, Digby's um one of Digby's scenes. So, um so I waited and the producer came down and um and uh, terribly nice chap and he you know, we read. He was a bit more sensible than Dougie. Dougie was kind of wonderfully kind of uh, um enthusiastic and you know, he showed he was he wore his heart on his sleeve, Dougie did. And um uh and anyway, so so you know, a few days later, I was I was off the part, and there I was playing one of the brothers. It was quite extraordinary. So so if there's anyone I can thank for any television career, I think probably it's it's Dougie. He was an absolute force of nature, total enthusiast, um, uh, just infected people with his energy. He was the most wonderful man. And I think the
0: producer would have been Barry
1: Letts. That's a Barry. Yeah. Likewise, was but la- la- Barry was much more measured. You know, he was a c- classic producer. He was absolutely perfect. For, for, you know, to, to, to look after Dougie, because Dougie would have all these wonderful ideas and just be, you know, like, like directors should be, sort of feel that they could do anything at all, and Barry let him feel it, and, but then was able to, you know, produce as best he could within the budget. And, you know, looking at Beauches now, you do think, well, it's, it's you know, obviously had a very limited budget my golly it's got heart it's got real heart and soul and, and, uh, from, you know, coming from the actors and that comes from via Dougie Dougie was the man who infected you all. really
0: absolutely tremendous man died at 50 mm. uh, before that was out or at the same time that that was out wasn't it pretty much I think, just, oh, just, our, just after job, it came uh, out I think no, yeah. he,
1: uh, had it, was it his last job I'm not sure that it was I think he was about to work on something if he, whether he started, whether he'd started or not, but I, I absolutely adored him. He was, um, he was a really,
0: really wonderful man. I watched Bows yesterday the other day. I thought it was great. Probably yeah, it really
1: is. I mean, you know, for, for, for you know, can't say there's no CGI. There was no nothing, no, no none of the bit, bits and pieces that you could have. And we did it all in, in a sandpit in sand Dorset. I
0: mean, really, I looked at it recently too. Strangely enough. It's, it's only crime, I think, to the modern eye, is that it's shot on videotape, which we yes, now know. only associate with 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 two types of drama, of and that's a shame because I think I'm yeah. a, a modern viewer that therefore miss out on an awful lot yes. of very very good stuff and yes. great cast, yes. proper cast of character actors, Yes,
1: proper cast of character actors and people with all from all shapes and sizes, you know, so it's, it's great. In fact, I'm doing John
0: Chalice for this. Oh on, dear, oh, we will give, we'll give him my very best. He's an absolutely lovely man. delightful man I'm doing the whole and I did John Moreno not long ago as well so I'm going through the cast of Bouges yes (laughs) (laughs) my Bouges slash Doctor Who podcast so what about you and were you always going to be an actor what was your background Uh, my back my I was at choir school
1: in my prep school days I I was a a private school educated I'm afraid um, uh, floppy head twit but um Uh, uh, I was, um, my brother and I both went to choir schools. He went to the Westminster Abbey Choir School. I went to St. George's Chapel, Windsor Choir School. And so music was very much part of our life. Um, classical music in particular. Uh, and, um, then I went on with a music scholarship to my public school. Uh, looked like music or something was going to, was going to, um, be part of, you know, I was, was going to go into music of some sort, but, um, uh, not, not performing, by any means, but, but you know, that sort of... Just classical music. Um, but my mother was an English teacher, and she used... To, she loved the theatre, absolutely adored the theatre, and particularly Shakespeare and Jane Austen. And um, I used to go... used to visit theatres with her... I think I saw Pericles when I was six years old. I mean, it was that kind of in-depth. I... I couldn't believe... That anyone would not want to go to the theatre. I thought that everybody wanted to go to the theatre. I thought everybody would be fascinated by it, and above all, I would have thought that everybody would just see would want to see the dressing rooms, the fly tower, the backstage area. Would want to see the minutiae of makeup. Would want to you know clothes, everything. You want to be involved in. I, I thought that everybody loved it. I thought I was just one of many, 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 many. Everyone. So the thought that I would be able to get a look in in the theatre was just ridiculous. And I thought it was a a club for someone else, you know. But I still, I had this absolute burning passion for it. And I didn't know what it was that I wanted to do in the theatre at the time. I must have been about 10, 11. I didn't know that it was possible to be in the theatre, other than, you know, unless you were part of the club, which I wasn't part of. But nevertheless, when I went to my public school, we we used to do uh, Shakespeare in a huge theatre, which was an, out, an outdoor theatre, was a converted chalk bit, and um, we were very lucky, we did a lot of classical theatre, so we did um, Shakespeare, but we also did Greek theatre, we did uh, Greek plays in Greek, and it was um, wonderfully <laughs> dramatic, and you know, uh, sort of, you felt like you were some sort of orator in this, uh, this extraordinary theatre that held about 1,800 people, I mean, was huge, um, and it and the and the person who who ran the English department, who was also because in those days you didn't have a drama teachers, so you just had a person, you know, the English teacher was always yeah. the person who was the director, and um, I um, he was absolutely magnificent, and he himself had been an actor, and, but he went deaf in one ear when he was about. He went to Oxford, then he went into acting, but but he got, became deaf in one ear when he was about twenty seven, twenty eight, and. Um, he was advised by another actor friend of his. You know, he went for advice and said, look, what do you think I should do? And he said, well, you, I'm afraid, as somebody who cannot cope if you're out of work, you cannot cope unless you're, you know, you're, you're, you're firing on all four cylinders, stop being an actor, because you will have nothing but frustration. And no, he said it was the best advice he'd ever been given by a true friend, somebody who truly cared about him and his life and the way he was living. it. So he became a teacher he was an absolutely brilliant teacher a brilliant teacher and um, he, uh, insp- he he gave me an opportunity to to play Shakespeare and 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 love you know all aspects of theatre and he knew people still in the business he great friend of Paul Eddington's great friend of Joss Ackland's you know we would go to see the backstage of theatres and of course I suddenly realised that it was possible we should name check him then his name was Charles Lepper right well there we go absolutely okay. extraordinary man and um um, and anyway, he he you know he he said, "Well, what do you want to do?" And 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 two people from two consecutive years before me had become actors, and I thought, "Well, I don't yeah, know that's, I'm not sure. I think I want to be something different." So, <laughs> so so I thought, "Well, I'll be a director." Where I got that from, I don't know. I directed one show at my school, and it had been a huge success. so I thought, well, oh, this is all right. This is easy." So, and he didn't quite know how to deal with that. He wasn't sure what you should do. I wasn't university material because I, was, I wasn't able to get any qualifications. So, so um, I, he guided me towards stage management at uh, 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 Lambda, which I went to. Halfway through the Lambda course, um, the overseas students, because I was floppy-haired and good-looking, the overseas students sort of took me under their wing and... They said, but what, what, you know, what, what are you doing being a stage manager? I said, well, I, you know, I really I want to be a director, really. Said, do you want to be a director? Well, actually, no, I want to be an actor. I want, I want to be an actor. <laughs> and they went, well, for God's sake, what are you doing? You know, you should why, go and speak to the principal and, and change courses. So eventually, them having threatened me with not speaking to me, if I, unless I did it, because I was a very quite shy person, I, um, I went to the principal, who I'd never met before, a chap called Michael Barry, and he said, "Look, look, we didn't, you know, we we um, we weren't sure whether stage management was really for you, um, uh, and you know, I, I think you know if you want to be an actor, why don't you give it a go? So we will um, we'll open all the doors for you. You don't have to, uh, you know, there's nothing secretive going on there, and we'll let you play all the small parts that the actors don't want to play. We'll establish that the actors don't want to play them, and then you can you can have them things like messengers and things like." that. And that's what I did. And then um, part of the stage management course was to be seconded to a theatre. So I was seconded to this theatre, them knowing that I wanted to be an actor. They then auditioned me I became an acting ASN. And that's how it started.
0: And the rest is it's interesting that you were about. It's very boring, no, long, boring story, but it's no. very different from everybody else. Yeah, but that's it. It's, the, it's, the, it's the, mm. different, the, the disparate stories are, I think, what's making this whole thing mm. um, very interesting, because mm. everyone comes to it from a different route. But the yeah. lovely thing about it was that from every
1: single student, I got nothing but support. There was nobody who said, oh, come on. Nobody. They were all absolutely fantastic so, you know, that's what the, the theatre fraternity is like. It's
0: supportive. It might be bitchy
1: from time to time, but it's basically supportive, you know, yourself.
0: Yeah, it's no bitch. My mum was a teacher for years. It's no bitchier than a, sc- a college right. staff exactly. room, you know. Exactly. That, it's just that it makes good press if uh, yeah, sure. two people off the telly fall out or whatever. Right. Um, but you seem to have, um, it's interesting that you talk about you know going up for jobs and not getting them, because an actor. Like me, you know, does the odd guest lead in Holby City or whatever. But you, you know, you look at I look at someone like you and you go, oh, he's got it sussed because does loads of stage work and and uh, you know, a uh, regular part in new tricks and spits of, of telly. But but there must be times when you've sort of gone, is this for me, or or times where it's been very frustrating, or have you have you been yeah. pretty uh, steady? Would you say? No, yesterday, <laughs> yesterday. No kidding. Yeah.
1: Yesterday I was on stage thinking, I can't do this. I'm hopeless. I can't do. it. I really shouldn't be here. I have no right to be here as well. And I get those moments, like everybody gets those moments, and uh, I get them regularly, like everyone gets them regularly. Some people can cope with them, some people can't. And I just, you know, they happen so much with me that I know that the next day I'll wake up and I'll feel okay. Um, You know, and you know, you, you just work it out. You know, people have employed you, you can't be that bad, you know. You're now 54. It's not like you can rely on your floppy hair and your good looks anymore. You know, it's it's true. You know, you plenty of times when you know when I was younger, I thought, "Crikey, Jesus, I know why it is. It's because I've got floppy hair. They want someone with floppy hair." You know, you know perfectly well that people you go into a job and you know within three seconds they know whether you're right or not as you come through the door. Oh right, no. too much hair,
0: or you know we want someone with red hair. And you go, oh. I, I've never lost a job for having too much hair, but as this is well, an audio you know, podcast, you, <laughs> know. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Yes, you know, too absolutely. Tall, too,
1: too tall. Do yeah. this. too that. too whatever. Yeah. You know? And and um, so you always, I always assume it's because I've, you know, yeah, I, just, uh, but, you know, we all get it.
0: A lot of the people I've spoken to from, from that you know, you were towards the end of Doctor Who, relatively speaking, and also towards the end of a way of making television, a lot of the actors I spoke to, that was their bread and butter. And they look at television from a distance now because they've retired or gone on to something else. Whereas you, that was the sort of beginning of your career. But I'm guessing much of your screen career has been done. how television is done now, which is no week of rehearsal at the acting rehearsal rooms Mm -hmm. and straight in. And they are obviously nostalgic for those days because that was what they mostly inhabited. How do you feel about the difference between those days and now in terms of making television?
1: Yeah, the fact of the facts that matter is that if you go and make a movie, if you are... I mean, I've worked with uh, quite a few people who make lots and lots of movies, and the bottom line is that they will have a relationship with the director two months before shooting starts. They will probably speak to the director certainly once a day, if not twice a day. or oh, sorry, certainly... So, so, sorry certainly once a week if not every day they will be dissecting the script with the director they will be doing basically what you do in rehearsal now movies that's movies to a certain extent allow you to do that so when you then get on the set you you as the actor with the director and therefore with the producer probably and with with um, all the designers and people like that you will have a very very strong idea about what kind of identity you're trying to present um now it doesn't happen with every actor on on a movie it's only happened with me twice on a movie but 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 all the other movies i've tended to go in and do the bit that i do and that's fine but all i mean is that is that there is if if you're taking a project seriously as a project maker or as a Telly maker, drama maker, whether it be in film or television, you innately do rehearsal. Now, I'm sorry to say, but the majority of the people who make programmes now, the kind of programmes that I make, I, I, I don't. I have I have yet to see, I've yet to see someone who is deeply passionate about the actual story. That I've seen a few. I've done about fifty or sixty programmes, so I've seen a few but they have got to feel deeply passionate about their drama, the drama they're trying to create, the story they're trying to give, the characters they're trying to portray. And they, then, are capable of transmitting that onto the actor who will then feel that passion and that enthusiasm. But they, but if someone says to me, do you bemoan not doing rehearsal? I don't bemoan the, the, the taking down of, of the act in Hilton. I don't bemoan the losing of a, of a week's rigid rehearsal before, before a project. Um, I'd like to do it. I wish the actor Hilton was still there. I wish we could do that. But I understand that an accountant will see it as, as wasted time and wasted money because they're not in it. They're not programme makers. And that's fundamentally the problem, is that the people on the whole who do budgets or who, who, um, uh, you know, who, who make multi-programming tend to have a monetary, the, the money or the or, or time emotional, whatever it is, tends to take precedence over creativity. It's chewing gum for the eyes are on the whole. I mean, uh, uh, you know, and it's very easy to, it's very easy to blame the actors, but actually, you know, they, I did Holby City for six months and I absolutely loved doing it. I really enjoyed myself, mostly because the actors were huge amounts of fun, and, uh, and they themselves were trying bloody hard to create something. And my God, were they up against it. I mean, truly up against it. it it's... it's uh, I don't mean that it's easy, but, it, but, but it, it's easier for someone like you to go in and do a guest lead in, in, in Holby City. You get the script beforehand. You get, you get a really proper understanding of where your character's come from, where it's going to. You, get, you actually... On the whole, they're written reasonably, written yeah. quite well. You know, you, you know that you are a, whatever you're supposed to be. You know what, the, you know, right? Okay. Now, the the people like me, for example, I went into Holby City, and all I was told was that I was married to Amanda. Um,
0: uh, I, 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 I meaning, was, yeah, Amanda Meaning, Amanda yeah.
1: Meaning, who delightful, right? And that um, and that I was um, I was running the hospital. No one told me I was a surgeon. No one told me that I'd had a, some degree from Cambridge. No one told me I was a brilliant man. No one told me anything. There was nothing evident in the script that I was that. And yet, for some reason, four episodes down the line, I'm doing surgery. I'm the board of the... Of the I'm, I'm the head of the board of the trustees. I'm the gov- you know, I just it, it just beggars belief that people aren't able to fit you into... To, to, to do what a playwright does. Do you see what I mean? And they're not prepared to sit down with you properly for days and days and work things out because they are, you know, they have nothing but they're churning things out. They're churning it out and churning it out and churning it out. I'm somebody who likes to work in a team. I I mean, I like to work with other people. I I don't like working on my own. I I, I, I don't... do one-man shows for good reason. I didn't like doing it on my own. I like working with other people, talking with other people, talking things through with other people. So when you don't get the opportunity to do that, it, it drives me mad. It, I get so nervous when I go on a
0: television. Set. So are you more are you happier on the stage?
1: I, yeah, I mean, I
0: mean, I get nervous on
1: stage, but I, but I, you know, on something like this, for example, that we've been doing for a very long time, we're all great friends, and we're doing a play that's beautifully written. You know what it's
0: like. Yeah, it seems to just trip off the tongue. Is it? Is it more worthy? Well, stage work, work, classic work than than worthy. But t- that, but by saying that, it sounds as if it's a, a criticism of it. No, no, no. I mean, no, more so. Is is. Is, it, is that what you get sucker from as a performer? No, there was no pejorative oh I, I think absolutely
1: of course I get sucker from it because because look I, I think I went into the theater because I because I was able to use somebody else's words to make me sound a bit more intelligent sound more more, more intelligent than I am right? <laughs> you know I could give the impression that I was an intelligent person, I suppose, but I also like poetry and I like the, the the way words sound and I love phrases and I, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by by literature. I like literature, I like beautifully written
0: literature. So uh, but so this is where I came to the worthiness. So therefore why can't we, or they, us, give the general public that in the... The, 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 the sort of what Dennis Potter called the national theatre of the, the, the television you know the, the, the thing that used to be a point of discourse where people would watch the play for today which wasn't you know formulaic drama but was something that had an issue and something why to can't say, they why don't we do that anymore why, because it's why is not there no popular. appetite for that it's anymore? not popular why
1: if it's good because it's not been it's it's you know it's basically what basically what they expect they program makers in television expect is they expect to be able to take a seed, throw it onto completely barren ground, and for it to then grow. If you, you've got to nurture the ground, you've got to water it, you've got to feed it, you've got to encourage people to watch something like this. Something like The Wire, for example, which was utterly brilliant. Beautifully written, very, very carefully written, very, very well acted and directed, and a collaborative process. I, mean, I know this because I know people who are in it. And uh, 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 an enjoyable collaborative process that, that relied on people having knowledge of what they were before they went onto a set to, to perform it. Took time, took imagination, took, I mean, I think particularly in the Wire's case, took one man who had an absolute understanding of what it was that he wanted to get and was determined to get it. It ran for, what, five seasons? Five seasons, right? Five years. Now, you name a programme that is that quality on British television that's run for five years. You might get the odd one that'll run for a year. You you will get the odd programme that is very, very, very good. Don't get me wrong, but they tend to be one-off experiences. The The, the fact of the matter is that sometimes I feel like this and sometimes I don't. And the, you you know, you've caught me in between shows of, of, a, of an absolutely beautifully crafted play. So, um, uh, you, you know, I, 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 I hope that this doesn't upset um, viewers in particular. Because viewers, you know, viewers are intelligent people. They're, they, they're treated by programme makers as if they're deeply unintelligent. But by actors and designers and directors, they're treated as if they're intelligent people, which we know they are. I think
0: the people that listen to this podcast will lap up every word that you've said, so I, uh, you don't need to worry.
1: Well, good. And, and I don't know a single actor who doesn't think like me. Yeah. But we're not allowed to say
0: it. Well, I'm glad you've said it on a m- mildly popular podcast that's listened good. to by people who have very fine Anorak collections. Um, I have to ask you, um, uh, because one of the films that you did was Madness of King George. Well, there's Madness a prime of example
1: of a brilliantly written film of a collaborative uh, process. Of an of a, a, a we we I, I did that play, mm-hmm. so I knew the play very well. Nick Heitner, who directed the play and also the movie, it was his first movie. He insisted on two weeks rehearsal before that. The actors lapped it up, and when we got onto the
0: set, when we shot it in nine weeks, it was beautifully done. It must have been hard because a lot of you were imported from the stage cast. I always feel sorry for the, for the handful that weren't. I know, I know. And that, that is, uh, that, yeah, uh, likewise.
1: Um, but I don't think any of those people who, were, who, who weren't brought in would expect any of us who were to say, no, I'm not doing it unless they do it. Sure. Is. You know, um, Nick was very honest uh, about it, um, uh, was very honest right from the get-go. He said, you know, inevitably, we all, you know, we were all experienced actors, we all know the deal, inevitably there will be people, that the producers of the the movie will require to be in it
0: that aren't necessarily you. Well, well, one of the people that happily did make it over with you, who is a Doctor Who legend, is Cyril Shapps. Cyril Uh, was, was brilliant. Marvelous mm. actor, yes. who's essayed well, a number of fussy scientists s- s- in Doctor who. Cyril,
1: yes, I'm sure, I'm <laughs> sure, and Roger Hammond, um, yeah, also. Um, but equally, uh, um, you know, Jeffrey Palmer hadn't done the play, and uh, um, there were fine actors who played that part who, who didn't do it. I was extremely lucky because although I was in most most scenes, I had hardly anything to say, and so I, um, so producers didn't mind me playing likewise the pages were very you know lucky in the sense that you know as long as you pepper the the, the sort of important roles with, with with people with with screen profile like Ian Holm or um, John, John wood, wood yeah. yeah exactly then Helen Mirren, obviously um, then then the, the likes of me who who's, p- people always said, what you were in the night screen George yeah I was. Um, well, you know well, they don't notice so, so it was well fun, and also apart
0: from that, I think the two I think the, it, it, the, the credits go Hawthorne, Mirren, Home as the leads and everybody else And the opening credits is alphabetical order so you look like you're, you're the next build know, person and Nick was very funny actually because he said he said it's
1: so exciting so exciting because your face comes out and your name because <laughs> <laughs> you owe me something you owe me you owe me it's <laughs> yeah. true Oh, no, it's never been like that before, and it's a beautiful film, uh, um, uh, a great script. And actually, I think, to a certain extent, works better as a film than it did as a play, but it was a great evening in the theatre, but just as a strong... Uh, it's a stronger film, I think, than it was a play. I, 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 I've always viewed television, you know, and for God's sake, you get it in documentary all the time, where you are being taught something, You're, you are wondering at, at somebody else's knowledge... Who is, that is imparting to you, whether it be a history programme, natural history programme, whatever it is, a programme about an actor, a programme about a comedian, you're learning all the time. Why the hell can't we in drama teach people things, surprise them, give them an opportunity to say, "Oh, that was different? You know, yes, sure, you'll get letters saying, well, I didn't like this and I didn't like that, but you don't, You you know, that will be... 2% of an audience. Well. Who have otherwise been stimulated by it. The National Theatre, subsidized theatres are all around the country, risk all the time. All the time, and they surprise their audience and they get their
0: audience. And annoying your audience isn't bad. And
1: annoying your audience, I mean the tricycle theatre that does amazing political drama annoys the f out of people. But my god, they keep coming. People are up for it. They want it. Li- you know, lives can be quite dull. And, and this is a wonderful opportunity to incite you, to provoke you into contributing to a, to, a, to a charity, into working for a charity, into, you know, understanding why the National Health is having a diff- having difficulty. Maybe not ringing up the doctor. You know, or, I mean, all these things, I mean, look, these things are covered in some dramas, I know, but equally they can be done better
0: without the help of frigging television executives. Well, I've, I have exceeded my, uh, my allotted time. I'm really grateful. That was absolutely brilliant stuff. Uh, we hope that you have been inspired to at least um, contribute to Antony's charity, which is... Uh, Cancer Research UK. Uh, and we convened here ostensibly to talk about a Doctor Who and go off to wherever he took us and he took us to some great places um, but Doctor was 50 this year uh, it started the day after ah, John F. Kennedy birthday. was assassinated <laughs> <laughs> is that your message
1: to the Doctor <laughs> Who fans? oh look, look, look you, you, uh, 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 as, you, as I said very early in the podcast I, I'm not a sci-fi fanatic but um, but uh, it it, it it has an extraordinary fan base, and that can be no
0: bad. That is no bad thing, and I wish it 50 years more. Brilliant, Anthony Carfrae. That was an absolutely fantastic interview. Thank you very much for your time. Not at all, pleasure. Bless you. That was great. That was great. That's see. My thanks to Anthony, a very very busy actor, and I'm really pleased that he responded to my letter and gave me some of his time when he was between shows, playing a, a major part in a major play at a major theatre. I'm beholden to the kindness of strangers. Um, his charity is Cancer Research UK which is www.cancerresearchuk all one word, all small case cancerresearchuk.org please donate if you can uh, there's another Who's Round coming up very soon but my big thanks and appreciation to Anthony Calf for giving his time Thanks for listening. See you on the next one.
1: No. In fact, talking about hitting heads, I remember when I was a brown belt, that's, before, that's, the, that's the highest Q grade before Dan grade, um, and a uh, uh, seemingly inconsequential little flip by my opponent, um, and uh, I landed on my head. This license gives us all the chance to honor my grandfather's lost Antarctic expedition. It will not only enable us to discover what fate befell him and his faithful team back in 1929, it affords us the opportunity to pay our last respects and lay their remains to
0: rest. Aristomons of Dixite, you read? Over. Dixite! Prof, Come in for God's sake!
1: That's taken the ice back about another 10 feet.
0: Still can't see anything,
1: nothing. Reading's still there. Reads over two meters tall, looks cuboid. Yes, I'm an archeologist, not a fool. You promised me unusual artifacts and remains, not an impossibly preserved body buried in a layer of ice frozen millions of years ago. Oh my God, it's reptilian. This is what you were expecting weren't you got it. Reptilian, indigenous to Earth. Who the hell are you? Yeah.